You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. Unprecedented market volatility has been a feature of 2020 and it's been polarised. It's been condensed into the last week as well, the last few days. Let me put it that way. And long may it continue because it's meat and drink to broadcasters like myself. With me now is Joanne Bainham, independent financial advisor, speaking to us from Cape Town. It's been quite fun, hasn't it? I mean, when I say quite fun, if you're long of Tesla, it wasn't quite quite so much fun last night because it was down 21% when the S&P uh, organisation said, no, you're not in the S&P 500. Come back and we'll review it in three months' time. It's it's amazing what's going on. It, it is amazing. And I think the last time you and I chatted, uh, kudos to you, Lindsay, because you called it. You, you said you thought September would be particularly harrowing. And, and so far it has been. Certainly markets. I think the Nasdaq is down 10% from its highs. Um, so you've been right. Well done. As for Tesla, he has this for an interesting stat. Yes, it was down 21% last night. But, you know, on the last month, it was up 16%. Yes. So it's, it's, it's quite unbelievable, actually. And I was reading today somewhere that Elon Musk even said his share price was too expensive and probably rightly rose $5 billion on that share price. So good for him, actually. Well done. Even he was saying it was too expensive. Um, yeah, so interesting markets. I think when things go up too much, they eventually come down. Is this the end of tech as we know it? I think that's the more difficult question. I think structurally tech is still a very important part of your portfolio, and I think the growth there is still going to be good for years to come. Oh, for but goodness, it has yeah, completely overhyped. Yeah, it, it, exactly. I mean, I, I don't know whether it's to do with the the SoftBank story, which we'll touch on in a moment, or whether it's to do with the Robinhood story and other websites or online trading sites that have lured people in as they sit around, uh, you know, going to their fridge every day and having nothing else to do because they're isolated. Uh, but there, there are various reasons. I think that the SoftBank story is a very important one it's, and it's very technical. Uh, but on the other hand, it did sort of discombobulate the markets and meant that there was an awful lot of hedging and covering and uh, financial engineering that needed to be done. And hopefully that won't continue because that was not a distasteful story, but it was certainly one that mucked about with people's portfolios. Yeah, like I say, I think it's probably an opportunity now for people who are long-term tech bulls probably start nibbling back in again. Yeah. I mean, I speak to a lot of people who tell me they think Alphabet, Google is incredibly cheap. Um, Apple had got expensive and Tesla was ridiculous. I mean, I think you and I spoke about it last time. When a share is in a Ford P of 196 times or 170 times, it's arguably too expensive. And Elon Musk himself said so. Um, just back to the SoftBank story, which obviously at the press have jumped on and it's very interesting. FT broke the story. Um, it's not incredibly obvious that it was SoftBank doing it, because if you look at the market in single stock futures, there was $335 billion of notional value being traded a day in the U.S. Um, supposedly, SoftBank's entire issuance is $40 billion. So you would argue then that SoftBank couldn't actually move the market, because I think it was more to do with the Robin Hood traders. I think, as your point, people are at home earning checks from the government for doing nothing and probably bored and thinking, well, let's buy some call options. Because as you recall, when stocks were splitting, people thought that was a great excuse to buy more. You've got a lot of people coming to the markets who don't have a clue what they're doing and probably thought buying call options was a good idea. So even when you saw the markets falling recently, the, the VIX actually hasn't been rising at the same time. The VIX was rising when the markets were rising, which is unusual. It normally falls when markets rise. Right. And when the markets have been falling lately, the VIX has been falling, I think because these options have been closing out. So 
Yeah, I think this is an unusual technical occurrence happening at the moment. But arguably, no one would have said tech wasn't looking frothy. You know, I, I, I buy the argument that people are staying at home. I buy the argument that there's new normal digital, digital disruption. But some of these shares have moved up way too much. If you look at a graph of Apple's earnings and Apple's share price, you know, the re-rating was just getting ridiculous. Uh, and I think that's probably why we've seen a bit of that froth coming off the market. But as I said, I think long term, you still want to be in these stocks. Yes, long term you do. But the question is, at what level do you want to be long of these stocks? If, for example, you haven't got a position or you want to add to your position, do you wait? Uh, do you wait for the, the SoftBank story, for the Robinhood story and for the uh, September and October and election story to get out the way? Or do you start to nibble away now? This is the key point because tech stocks can come back another 10, 15 percent and still be in a long term bull market. So what do you do? Just be responsible, sit back and buy on the dips. What is your strategy? What are you advising your clients? I look, if you have a long-term strategy, buying now is probably a good idea. If short-term strategy, not so much. I think the markets could come under more pressure. I think these stocks went up far too fast too quickly. I think they went up too much. So I, if I was an investor in the short term, I'd be waiting a little bit, be a little bit cautious. The technicals have deteriorated, and I'd be a bit cautious in the short term. But it depends on your time frame. If you're a long-term investor, then I don't think it really matters. Um, maybe you'll get clever and buy the bottom. It's usually very difficult to do. I think... I was listening to a Dave Shapiro interview this morning, and I think he said something very clever. He said, it's all very well to sell, sell these companies, but when do you get back in? Mm. And it's much harder to get back into a lot of these companies. So if you're in them, stay in them. If you haven't bought yet, maybe you can wait a bit, but don't wait too long because I think the story is still very compelling. Mm. Uh, the valuations have got somewhat extreme. But, you know, it's very interesting. You talk about the S&P generally, and, and that market obviously also went to new highs. If you strip out the FANG stocks, as I, I know you know, Lindsay, the market actually hasn't done very well. So the market's actually being quite realistic about economic prospects because some, according to some stat I read, it, the five stocks are up, but 495 stocks are actually down 2%. I think year to date, or I can't remember the numbers are now. So the markets actually are much more rational than we give it credit for sometimes. People have pushed these five stocks up too much. They're going to come back a bit. Where the bottom is, nobody knows. In the long run, you want to be holding these companies Um yeah, I think the trying to time it, it's very, very difficult. But from a strategy perspective, I think if we see another 10% downside, I certainly would be buying. What about South Africa? Because South African stocks have, well, selected stocks have started to do rather well. I saw the Aspen announcement of uh, getting rid of one of its core pillars, but it certainly got rid of uh, some of its debt by the sale of one of its assets. I think the, the debt was reduced by 40%. That's a couple of days ago. The results are out. Is it tonight? Yes, they're tonight after the market closes. ShopRite came out with some really, really good uh, numbers. Uh, so it's, it's almost like the Wall Street versus Main Street story, and I call it the the mall versus the JSE story in South Africa. What is your attitude towards uh, South African stocks, given the GDP number that we got yesterday, which was horrible, but it was looking backwards rather than forwards? You know, you say it was looking backwards rather than forwards, but I still don't know what the SA government is coming up with to try and fix the problems we have. Because mm -hmm. as you recall, South Africa was already slowing down pre-COVID. So COVID took a bad situation and made it an awful lot worse. And yes, there's a bit of excitement around some of the SA domestic stocks with ShopRite up. I think you said 10% yesterday. But, but I still struggle with the economic growth for this country because I don't know if you saw, I think it was at Fitch and Moody's came out yesterday and downgraded SA's GDP forecasts. Also, scarily, saying that we're going to get 100% debt to GDP next year. Uh, that's much sooner than I think the, the 
South African Finance Department has argued for. Uh, we're talking about GDP falling sort of 8 to 12% this year. There's still some horror numbers out there. And again, I don't see government making the right noise. We talk about Soro and Posa says we need a new social compact. We need to make all these great changes. There's all these worries about what will happen to Reg 28 and potentially prescribed assets. But I don't see any concrete action yet coming out of government to get South Africa on a growth trajectory. So, yes, you can get a bit of excitement in these small in these SA domestics for a while. But but I still think long run, I don't want to be there. I, I, I'm very nervous about the SA economy. Um, if we'd gone to the IMF and asked for proper money from the IMF, I'd be feeling a lot more bullish. But we, we still continue to say we don't want that money, uh, talking about the money that would require government to cut spending. But, but where's the solution coming from? I mean, I think when you and I last spoke, we talked about raising taxes in South Africa. Every time they've raised taxes, they've got less tax than they've done it because people simply stop paying their taxes. It, it's, I, I do find the growth story here in South Africa very worrying. Um, from a public market perspective, on the SA side of things, I'm less excited, though I have been speaking to quite a few people in the private equity markets. And I think if you have private equity ideas where you are you know, you're running the company, you're involved, giving them ideas about their growth rates, helping them with their cost cutting, giving them cheap finance. I think some private equity might be some good opportunities for South African investors. But then again, for a retail client, that's very difficult to access because usually the minimums are too high or the lock-in puts them off. You need to be a registered investor to get into a lot of these things. But it's great for pension funds. But yeah, to answer your question, Lindsay, in a roundabout fashion, it's a trading market around SA domestic stocks, uh, and I still remain very cautious. Yeah, and I put this question to somebody else this morning, an economist, and I said, well, if we stabilise somewhat and if we get a growth uh, plan in place and if the GDP that we've seen and all these ifs, but I said, if there's another downturn in the international markets, whether it be uh, the, the, the stock markets, which... in inevitably affect the macroeconomic market as well, the macroeconomic environment rather. Uh, South Africa is so vulnerable. Uh, so we, we've really got to rely on the fact that the uh, so-called developed world economies start to recover in a slow and measured and responsible way. But if they take another dip, then unfortunately we are so vulnerable and so is the RAND and then things could start to unravel quite nastily. Yeah, I still think the risks to the downside here. Maybe I'm being way too pessimistic. Um, I listened to a conference's call this morning and they were interviewing people and asking them what they thought about South Africa. And bizarrely, most of the respondents were very bullish about SA. And I felt like, what planet am, am I on? Because I'm certainly not feeling that way right now. Maybe I'm being too negative. But, you know, as I say, I, I don't see the rhetoric from government compelling enough yet to make me think, gosh, we can really turn this place around. I, I just don't see cost-cutting as the four of all their chats. They just don't bring it up. So, yes, I mean, all they seem to want to talk about is social compact, and what does that actually mean? So I continue to be worried about South Africa. From an economic growth perspective, you're absolutely right, Lindsay. If we get a second wave or a proper second wave in Europe and the U.S., and we're already starting to see numbers rising in Europe, I think France getting 7,000 new infections a day, the U.K. now getting 2,000 new infections a day. And like I think I've said to you from the very beginning, I think it's been completely overblown, COVID, and worries over COVID, and I don't want to get into that big discussion. Mm. The far bigger worry, though, is what governments do. And I'm not sure if you're aware and following what's happening in the UK, but they're now saying from Monday next week, the biggest gathering you can have is six people down to 30 because they're so worried about the rate of infections increasing. So I think government's going to do much more damage to the world economy than COVID ever will 
But if they continue making stupid comments like that, I think we're in big trouble. And then South Africa will be a beneficiary of being in trouble because we need the world economy pick up. We need tourism coming back. You know, we, we need tourism for growth in this country. And, and I don't see that happening in a hurry. So we need governments to open up our airports, allow international traveling. But, you know, the, what, how does that help? If, if the UK won't let their people out, if UK starts putting people into two-week quarantines, where are our tourists coming from? So, so these things are, are very worrying for me. So back to your argument, so the cyclical story versus the tech story. You know, if we, if we really believe the world economy was flying and doing better, would oil prices be dropping like they are? I don't think so. So I think we need to see more encouraging news on economic growth yet before we can really see this tech story changing and people buying the more value cyclical elements of the market. I think the Saudi story of them selling oil at discounted prices uh, was a very, very telling story. If they thought that there was demand, I mean, they obviously know what demand is when it comes to oil because they are the big oil people. If they know well, from their customers that there's not going to be a massive amount of demand for the next three, six, nine, twelve 12 uh, months, then they say to themselves, OK, well, let's get rid of as much as we can at these elevated prices, i.e. around about $40 uh, per barrel. And I think that was one of the most significant stories of the last five, six days. And did you see the story on the Russians? No, tell so me the about Russians the Russians. The Russians are giving um, tax relief to their oil companies. So they, they are also trying to help out these oil companies because they're struggling so much. Now, if they thought it was going to be much better going forward, they certainly wouldn't be offering tax relief on oil. So mm. I think you've got two stories there telling you that people are continue to be worried. A, a more po positive story, though, is on platinum. I don't know if you've noticed. Um, we're expecting platinum now to be in deficit because of supply shortages from South Africa, but also because of the hydrogen economy, people looking at platinum now to be cleaner fuel. So that's some good news in the platinum story for South Africa. Uh, also, interesting enough, on that GDP for numbers that came out yesterday, I don't know if you noticed, but agriculture was actually positive. And so we're having a bumper crop in South Africa, which will be good for our inflation numbers and good for, uh, for our exports. So there's some good news for a change. Short term, of and course, the on the agriculture story, because it could be a drought next year. It could be a flood uh, the, the year after, given climate change. So, But uh, let, let's take the agriculture story and the bumper crop that you've just described and uh, embrace it. But on the other hand, I wouldn't say that that's a long-term trend, Joanne. Oh, no, 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 completely. Lindsay, I, I'm scraping the barrel here. I, I'm trying my hardest to find good news stories, and it's hard to find. Uh, the other potentially, you could argue, good news stories was the actual society or whoever they are have come out and said, oh, by the way, our numbers on COVID in South Africa appear to be wrong. We think the maximum death now would be 50,000. Originally, they thought the minimum deaths in South Africa would be 48,000. So, you know, here's some more learned people coming forward and admitting that their COVID numbers have been wrong. So that's potentially some good news, I guess. Um, yeah, but it's, it's hard to find very bullish stories in South Africa at the moment. Um, oh, there is one. Sorry, I, I actually did find one. Go on. the, the housing market appears to be picking up. So it, it looks like the 300 basis point of interest rate cuts are starting to work. Uh, despite the fact that we've got massive unemployment, people are feel those who are employed appear to be feeling a bit more positive, I guess, or interest rate cuts have made things more affordable. Uh, and we are starting to see the housing market pick up somewhat in South Africa. And that tends to be quite a good sign for consumer confidence at some point. So there's potentially a good story that we're 
we're not not many people are talking about. Okay, uh, let's talk about uh, one asset class that you might like. For example, we've spoken about equities, and you've been cautious about that. We haven't spoken about currencies or bonds or commodities. You did reference platinum, and uh, therefore platinum group metals. Is there anything that you're looking at that you would say, okay? We've got all these things. We've got elections. We've we've got geopolitics and everything else assaulting us. If someone gave you a couple of million here and there, what would you do with it? Oh, Lindsay, I know it's a bit too much like consensus, but I, I do like gold. I, I think, you know, it's had its rally. It's come off a bit, but I do like gold. I think I still think the only playbook that central banks understand is to keep interest rates really low forever. And... Um, at the short term, I'm not worried about inflation picking up anywhere because I think demand is still very weak. So I continue to like gold in portfolios. Um, I like, I do like the tech story. I think it could come back a bit more, but I think you need to get buy back into that. I think the quality growth remains compelling. You and I have talked about a lot now this scarcity of growth argument, and I think that's still sort of the playbook, sort of the area you still want to be looking at. Um, and South Africa. I remain worried. I think, you know, the, the one nice story in SA is, is the bond story. Despite worries about debt to GDP ratios being incredibly high, you can still buy bond yields here, sort of very attractive yields relative to the world's economy. I, mean, I saw a comment this morning, New Zealand now, I don't know if it's three-year money or which money it is, but it's now also gone negative yields. Mm. You've got 30-year paper negative in Europe. Um, UK is negative yields, I think, in some parts of the curve. So I think if you want some decent yields, you can still come to South Africa for that. Oh, there is one asset class that I think not many people are aware of in South Africa, which is very intriguing, and I think people need to look into it, is African bonds. Yes. So they're, they're one or two managers at the moment launching African bond funds. They're so emerging market funds. debt in general, but uh, with a specific focus on Africa. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, but this one's a little bit different because it's in dollars. So it's not, um, you know, you're not buying Nigerian currency or the Angolan currency or whatever. You're buying a lot of these instruments in dollars. And some of them are trading at sort of 700 basis points above treasuries. So you're getting a very nice dollar yield pickup. It is similar to the emerging market story, but it's specific to Africa. So I think that's a nice, um, that's something nice to put into your portfolio. So if you're looking for diversification and you're looking for a bit of yield, I think African bonds would make a lot of sense. We're not talking about an enormous amount of money here, maybe 2 to 3% of your portfolio. So certainly not more than that, but it's a nice little yield pickup in a, in a world where there is no yield. Okay. Nicely put. Joanne, thank you so much for your time. That's Joanne Bainham, Independent Financial Advisor. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.